Hey investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest and fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Another major economist predicting a double-digit decline, this time in the Canadian real estate market, or they would be shocked. Today, we're going to go through some of the major headlines. I want to read some of the news as a broker and investor myself here in the GTA. I also want to know what's going on, and I'd love to share this data with you here on Toronto's number one real estate podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Toronto real estate rent rates. Are they going faster than expected? Are they rising quicker than anyone anticipated? We're also going to talk about what some economists are predicting will happen in the second half of 2022. There's a lot of confusion. The more info we can digest, hopefully we as investors can stay ahead. And could Canada's debt frenzy be what saves the Toronto market? We're going to talk about different scenarios and I'll give some of my thoughts on everything that's been going on. But if you haven't already, please consider following our show. You can subscribe and you can also, if you want to get involved in what we're doing at Watson Estates, you can find us over on our link tree and share this episode, please, on Instagram. You can tag us at Watson Estates. But this is a wonderful episode because we just had our third child. That's right. Blake Watson is now in the world. I've had two girls. Now we have a boy in the family. Our our circle is complete and uh, we're thrilled. There's something beautiful about holding a new baby and it's uh unless it's someone else's. Nothing fun about that, right? When someone asked me to hold their baby, I just said, "No, no thank you. I'm I'm vegetarian." <laughs> but we're happy mommy and baby are healthy and um thank you for your patience as I've been kind of away the last couple weeks, but here we are back at it again and we're going to talk about what's going on in the market. So Toronto rental rates, they're increasing. There's a lot of headlines about that today. But the question that I want to ask to start off this conversation is, is it increasing faster than anyone expected? Well, I'll give you guys a bit of a reminder. I went back in my in, in the folder and we looked back at episode 285 called Toronto Real Estate Predictions for 2022. And at that time, there was a blog TO article that said this, Toronto is forecasted to have the strongest bounce back in 2022 as the forecast calls for an annual increase in the average rent of 11% next year to 2495 per month. And my prediction, this was in January, published on January 4th, was this. I was actually, see, I saw us beating the number in 2019, putting us actually ahead of what they said. So they were expecting just under 25. And my prediction going into this year was 2,600 or a 13% growth, essentially making up for the lost rent and what we had seen fall apart during COVID. Well, here we stand today. We seem to be on pace. Progress so far is the news. It now costs more than 2300 per month to rent the average Toronto apartment. But this shouldn't come as a mystery for you guys who have been following us for a while. And I want this to also explain and show you, I anticipate this will continue. We're just kind of getting started. So all the headlines, oh, rental prices are so high. It, not really, not really. I, feel, I still think there's more to go. Though Toronto's housing market is showing some early signs of cooling off, if not when it comes to prices, then at least when it comes to activity, the same can't be said for the region's rental market, which is actually only expected to get worse, experts say, according to the latest Toronto GTA rent report and bullpen research and consulting and torontorentals.com, monthly rent in and around the city continue to rise at a rapid pace, hitting a new high of a whopping 2325 bucks downtown, an average 16% higher than April 2021. So when I was forecasting as of January to go up 13%, here we are so far up 16%. Looking pretty good. The cost of living in a condo apartment is spiking the hardest with these units in the GTA costing 26% more than this past April than they did the same time last year at an average of $2,500. 
When we look at the designated rental apartments, they've also seen an increase. They're kind of everyone seems to be recuperating from the damages that happened during the pandemic and that lull that took place and everyone fleeing the city at Exodus. You remember all of that. I told you, be coming back. Overall, there is still month over month increase happening as well, with the average monthly rent for the entire GTA now sitting at 2200 bucks. So I'll just pull some of the examples that they had here of average rents per square. They had per square foot, but I'll just go by the total number. So when we look at Toronto, this is a year over year. So April, 2021 and April, 2022. So last year it was sitting at 2077. Now the average rent is almost 2600 bucks. Look at that. So I think I'm doing pretty good on my, on my numbers. North York. We had, it was just under 2,000. Now it's at 2,350. Etobicoke from 2,000, just under 2,100 over 2,500. We saw a pretty significant jump in Mississauga from 2,100 to 2,600. And then also a bump in Scarborough. So we're every direction, right? Northeast, south, central, I guess, or northeast, <laughs> west, central. We don't have a south unless you live in the water. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. So the GTA all around is uh, is spiking as far as rent, and people seem astonished by it, but it's, it's just a story that continues. When we look at what we were dealing with in 2021, maybe this is where there's a bit of a surprise because Toronto year over year last year at this time was down month year over year by 8%. Now it's back up. It seems to be a bounce back 9%. It's almost as if the ones that seem to do well are now struggling. The ones who struggled are now doing well. People are kind of, this kind of this balancing act that's taking place across the GTA. While Toronto had the highest prices for all apartment sizes, it was more easterly cities that had the lowest. So in Whitby, a one bedroom rents for 1360. I don't know how you make any money on that. Versus in Toronto, it's over 2000 And 1862 for a two-bedroom and 2290 for a three-bedroom in Oshawa versus 2800 and 3300 So we're talking over $1,000 or $1,100 in both cases. The house type winner, when we go across the board on, you know, you got a rental portfolio, which one seems to be doing the best is actually the two bedroom. Two bedrooms seem to be doing well. It increased interest, especially in two bedroom units, which has consistently seen price, big price growths each month this year compared to last. And why is that? Why are people gravitating towards the two bedroom or why are the two bedrooms maybe more expensive? And I think it's found somewhere in this explanation. Median unit size for apartments built so far this year and listed on torontorentals.com is smaller than the size of units built in any other year at just 596 square feet compared to what was 979 square feet in 1998. So we have this kind of fading away of square foot. People are losing space in the units that are available. So there's not getting any more, not only getting more pricey, but they're also getting smaller. So the interest for the two bedroom would naturally in my mind go up. And I think that that's maybe where that's found, but what comes next? What can we look forward to as landlords, maybe renting out those units, got those nice, we're sitting on those nice low mortgage rates right now, right? And we, we want to try and capitalize on the cash flow. Well, after several consecutive months of monthly increases last year, average rent flattened out in the GTA, but lower interest rates could have tipped the scales. Funny how this works, right? Again, affordability playing right through and this time now hitting also the rental market, pushing would-be buyers back into the rental market or simply preventing them from leaving it. So you have this affordability crisis that is now trickling beyond immigration, but the actual market itself is pushing people not just into rental units, but there's also, and I'm not gonna get into, into today's conversation, but there are people, there's articles now, people running for Quebec and people running for Alberta and all the way, right? Everyone's going, they're running as far as they possibly can until eventually Canada is no longer gonna be a price and for any Canadian, and where do you go? 
you run away, you move up to Antarctica or something. I don't know. <laughs> I move up to Antarctica. I move up to Arctic. I got my world flipped upside down. If the ownership market continues to soften, expect rents to pick up, especially downtown and in transit-friendly neighborhoods. There you go. We're not done yet. That's the lesson there, and I would concur. So let's move along. What's going on? So, you know, we're, we want to see what's going on in the actual housing market. And what do economists expect will take place in the second half? I know we're not halfway, but, you know, we're getting ahead of the curve here. What would we expect to see in the second half of 2022? And where better to start than better dwelling? Because better dwelling, they love to scare us with headlines like this. Canadian real estate to fall double digits. Or I would be shocked. That's the BMO director saying that Benjamin writes BMO's managing director of macro strategy and host of views from the North podcast. Here's what they go on to say in this article. Canadians are more indebted than Americans and thus are more sensitive to rate hikes. The more sensitive households are to rate hikes, the more their consumption slows as a result. Rates haven't even hit January 2020 levels, but we can already see the impact on real estate. So here's what he says. He says, quote, I mean, I'll be shocked if home prices don't fall double digits in relatively short order. Getting them back to trends is something like 20 plus percent decline in home prices. Every pocket of the country is a little bit different, but it's probably going to be a challenging period. We've seen that play out in the GTA, but from where I'm sitting, Toronto seems to be pretty resilient as far as home prices go it'll be we're going to continue to watch that and as the stats come out obviously we're at the end of may right now when those stats come out we'll check them out but it seems as though the closer you are to the city the safer you are the immune you are to the price corrections that's taking place but they my view from this article and what i'm getting out of the conversation here and the conversation's happening across all economists and in the news right now is it all comes down to rates. It, everything just points right back to interest rates. It's a one-way conversation here. Most people think of the decade of ending in 2020 as a new normal, but it was far from it, right? So this kind of transition moving into increasing interest rates, it seems like this is like a new period, but they're saying it's not. After the global financial crisis, central banks provided liquidity to help a recovery. Being a liquidity provider of last resort, that made sense for a while. The issue is it was done for too long, creating a moral hazard for the public. There's no shortage of articles in the media claiming rates at these levels are punitive, right? They're saying you're, you're, make, you're making it so hard on Canadians. How, can you, how dare you increase it to 1% interest rate? However, interest rates are lower still than they were in January 2020. Canada and the U.S. also happen to have tight labor markets and soaring inflation. That number is changing rather quickly. We have this increasing interest. So to say, you know, it's still lower than it was in, in January 2020, things are moving very, very fast. But that doesn't mean that it's different or punitive or mean. In fact, I think this should have been done a while ago. When we look at the BMO Capital Markets Managing Director, here's what he says. I like to think of the last 15 years as the abnormal period in history of interest rates of the world, not what is going to be the future. So it's not what's coming that's odd in the big picture. It's what we've just come through in the last 15 years that is odd. And he says, I think we are about when, when we are above 3%, we were resetting to a more reasonable level of rates. But I think you have to see where inflation settles into and where overnight settles into before you make the call. So if we're sitting right now at 1% and we're expecting at least 3%, there's another two to go. And then we can kind of start having a conversation of maybe being in the world of normal. Well, 
It's going to happen rather quick because we've got an interest rate increase coming up an announcement next week. It seems all but certain at this point. CP24 experts predict the Bank of Canada will likely announce another major interest rate boost Wednesday as it tries to rein in runaway inflation. Beat that inflation. Bad, bad inflation. <laughs> After keeping its key interest rate near zero since March 2020, the central bank unveiled a pair of rate hikes in March and April, which we talked about. The second was by half a percentage point, an unusually big increase. That's cute. That half a percent is a big increase. Nathan Jansen, assistant chief economist of the RBC, said overnight rate is widely expected. I think it's like guaranteed at this point to jump by another half percent point to 1.5% this week, this week, Wednesday, with more increases likely in the month ahead. There's no reason to think we wouldn't have another half percentage point increase. We've already got that on the go, but we're going to talk about where we're headed. First, I want to have a conversation here talking about a bubble, but where we're headed is, is maybe, maybe our reliance on debt is the saving grace for Canadian real estate specifically. But when someone says our price is crashing because we're in a bubble, right? This like bubble, we're going to drop 50%. It's very like this kind of like, just like jumping to big numbers that sound very exciting as a first time buyer. Not really. Like this isn't a crash of a bubble. It's not. If you look, recent price declines, okay, have been almost entirely like immediately matching. They're linked to either if in like the best case, if you want to argue a bubble, the perception of interest rate increases, right? This perception of, ooh, this is going to be bad. Things are going to crash, right? That kind of perception in there, maybe. But most of which I think is a real impact of rising interest rates. We have a legitimate change. This isn't like we've got a stress test coming in as, oh, what's a stress test? It's going to, you know, crash the market. And the market is so over, over. Maybe it was heated. Absolutely it was heated, for sure. But I do believe, like, I think we would be completely ignorant to say that this is just a crash for the sake of a crash. This isn't just perception. This is a, also a real change in interest rate affecting the affordability of real estate. And when we look at history, when you increase interest rates, real estate prices come down. That's normal. So here we go. So what does all of this mean to you, right? So given that interest rates seem to be the primary driver of prices, if we're going to have more interest rate increases, naturally you could assume further declines over a big period. Obviously, pockets are different, but across the country, general drawing back or pulling back of real estate prices. Okay, so what does this mean? And here is my opinion. I give you a different, and, and this comes more so from real estate doing transactions and working with clients. My advice, actually, I'm not allowed giving advice. I should never give advice. Even on the YouTube, I put a disclaimer. This is not advice. This is just my opinion. So my opinion <laughs> is to be swift with your movements. If you're doing real estate, do it fast. The longer you close, the greater the risk. This is what I'm seeing. John Pasal said it like this. This has an example, by the way. People who agree to buy homes under construction but haven't yet closed are facing mortgage interest rates that could be nearly double what they anticipated when they paid their deposits. That's an obvious example of someone who kind of assumed rates were lower and now I'm closing. The builders, you know, they're very good at delaying and here we are with higher interest rates. That's one example. But that doesn't need to happen over the course of years. This is happening monthly, let alone with changes in prices, not just changes in interest rates and affordability. My solution, here's an idea for you that take it or leave it, that I am using, okay? My solution is one, as a seller, nice big fat deposits. Get that big deposit. I would, for me, 5% was the starting point. I'd like to see a 10% deposit now, just given the climate. I wanna make sure that that buyer is committed and able to purchase that home. I don't want them to have a reason to, to squeeze out and try and you know play games. 
But the big thing, and that, that might not come as a surprise for some regions, but this is definitely a unique idea that I haven't heard anyone else talk about. So you're going to love it. Is have a very quick closing. As fast as the bank will allow. Three weeks. Maybe even two. Or a month. Month or less. Now the seller's like, oh my God, I can't find a house in a month. You're right. But here's what you do. And this is what I've seen play out and I think it's a fantastic idea. The seller, as part of that agreement, becomes a short-term renter. You close the property as the buyer. You figure out what would be your ideal closing date. So let's say we were going to close in three months. Well, we're going to close in one month and the, re- the seller is going to rent for the next three months. In this environment, which is really benefits a couple things. And this it really works best for first-time home buyers. But you've got this short-term rental setup where the seller now ideally can just kind of sell the house and has time after closing, ideally, to go out and purchase a property. And it, it, it wins in a few ways. One, the buyer is able to lock in those quick rates that they're only guaranteed for 90 days and they want to close fast anyways because for every, it's almost like this stepping that's happening. We have lock-in rates, rates, rates go up. Lock-in rates, rates go up. Meanwhile, as rates are going up, prices are kind of stepping their way down as well. So if buyers don't want to get caught in a scenario where they close in three months and appraisals come in and they get hit, their ideal scenario would just be to close on it, knowing there's a deal in there and we'll, we'll deal with the rest, but let's get in the house. So there's confidence in rates for the buyers, confidence in appraised values. Meanwhile, for the seller, there's confidence that they're going to close. The biggest issue right now is many people are caught where they can't close. And if you're relying on that closing to purchase a home, you could be screwed. So I love this idea I, and let me get, let me know what you guys think. Send me a DM or, or leave me a, leave something in the comments. Let me know your thoughts on that. Have you guys used this? I, I just kind of figured this out through having some done some of the deals. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It allows the seller some room to breathe. It gives them confidence. I mean, a successful close is almost as beautiful as delivering a new baby this year. It really is. <laughs> what I don't get is don't babies need their livers? <laughs> Uh, delivering. Could Canada's debt be what saves the Toronto market? All this talk of increasing interest rates, killing the housing market. There is some resilience all built in, and this is kind of the conversation I want to have. There's, there's two faces to this coin, right? And this is the other side, the less glamorous side, but it's definitely a very real thing. John Pasalas had a post here. Anytime you hear someone brag about how great household balance sheets look. It's important to remember that the primary asset real estate could easily fall 20% plus while the debt stays fixed. If that happens, household balance sheets don't look so great. You'd maintain the debt, you'd eat up the equity. I mean, all of this completely ignorant to the fact that we've seen this entire price growth happen in the matter of the last year. But it's definitely a good point. If you've closed recently, you're, you're kind of eating up that, 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 the equity, right? The equity is going away, but the debt don't go away. So we're going to jump into a Globe and Mail article called Warning, Canadians are house rich but heavily in debt. This conversation between wealth and debt, how do they all play in and how are they going to impact the housing market? Canadians have a lot of debt and Canada's banking regulator is worried and it should be. Of particular concern is what's called a readvanceable mortgage. There's a lot of pressure right now on this readvanceable mortgage product. This debt combines an ordinary mortgage with a home equity line of credit. I know you guys love your lines of credit. As the mortgage principal is paid down, the line of credit can increase, possibly creating a state of permanent debt. As I pay it down, I open up more room, which I can borrow from that room to live. What a beautiful thing. Well, people hate this product because you're perpetually in debt. Like that's a bad thing, right? Don't blame the product. My question back here is maybe it's the environment. Why pay off debt when rates are like zero? 
<laughs> that is a beautiful thing in a low interest rate environment. I think as interest rates rise, the dependence on your home will change. I think that's just a product of the environment that this came out. Anyways, the whole point of this is readvanceable is Osvi has warned about the possibility of, quote, vulnerabilities to Canada's banking system and suggested it may push banks to count readvanceable mortgages as riskier than currently required. Okay, so your rates are going to be slightly higher for those types of products. That would make it more expensive for banks to offer them to customers and temper their use. Don't get so reliant on living on your house. People have been, do I've been doing it excuse me, because it's so affordable to do so. Why would you not? And you can't blame people for doing that. I, I just think you don't blame the people. Blame I don't even think you can blame the product. I think it's the system is built to encourage that type of thing. Well, if, they, if OSFI doesn't want people using it, then they're going to attack it head on. But getting into this conversation of wealth and debt, Statistics Canada reports the net wealth of households reached record $15.9 trillion at the end of 2021, more than 20% higher than $13 trillion in the mid-2020. The key propellant was turbocharged real estate. Real estate is making you rich. You know, we love real estate in Canada, and that's what's driving, driving the pony. In the same report, StatsCan also looked at the other side of the ledger, debt. At the end of 2021, the ratio of how much households owed compared with the disposable income reached a record 186.2%. That's a big number. <laughs> that means for every dollar of disposable income, you owe $1.86 of debt. And a decade ago, it was $1.68, which is also a big number. And the previous peak was $1.85, which was in the summer of 2018. Our numbers are high. In fact, it puts us, what does it put us at? Ninth? Ninth in the OECD, way, way ahead of the US. But could this problem save us in the short term? Don't shoot me for thinking this, but I'm just kind of talking through this out loud. And maybe I'm completely off base. I'm completely ignorant. But I think there's some truth to this. So like OSFI, the Bank of Canada has eyed all of this with wariness and has worried about how financially stretched Canadians could one day become a risk to the broader economy. High debt levels means the economy could react particularly badly to certain types of shocks. What shocks, you ask? Potential shocks with painful feedback loops include job losses, falling home prices, and rising interest rates. These have painful feedback loops, right? This bank is in the process of raising interest rates, but it has to be careful and watch on what rates do to indebted homeowners. If we're so exposed, every little change has such a big impact. To curb inflation, the bank wants to cool the economy just a little bit, a measured tap on the brakes. But high debt levels means each rate hike may hit hard. It looks like it did when it comes to house prices. Quote, this slowing might be amplified this time around because highly indebted households will face high debt servicing costs and will likely reduce spending more than they would have otherwise. It's, it's playing itself out more than, than ever because we're just so in debt. Every move in the way of interest rate increases has such an exaggerated shift in our economy, whether that's through your ability to spend money elsewhere or house prices, which we're seeing play out. And so... I'll reiterate, a light tap on the interest rate breaks is probably all we can afford, right? Unless we're okay with just like killing everybody here. But obviously the Bank of Canada is trying to be aware of the circumstances of Canadians. And so maybe this light tap on the breaks is all we got. Maybe there isn't the strength of our ability to increase rates, increase rates, increase rates. Maybe, maybe. So here's some good news for homeowners. While you're sitting back thinking, my home value is dropping 20%. That's exciting. 
Maybe there's some good news. <laughs> Here's some good news for you guys. I like to be the good news guy, but really, I'm not the good news guy. I, I give the good and the bad. It's just people don't like to give the good. So here's some good. Home prices, guys, are very sticky. We saw this back in 2020. Obviously, during the pandemic, there was a lot of repair done by government support. We saw this in 2017, right? You don't, you're not seeing major, major crashes unless it's like extreme, like significant increases in interest rate. Not this like overwhelming half a percent increase in interest rates. Generally, the housing market is very sticky and it's very resilient. What do I mean by sticky? Well, there's a few things happening here. Because of necessity, this is one reason, homeowners that are underwater currently, they want to hold on as long as possible, right? They can't just dump it. They have, there's no money left in the tank. How am I going to pay 5% commissions and closing costs when I have not even 5% in value in my house? The necessity will keep people in their home unless somebody goes and pushes them out for some reason. Another reason is preference, right? Underselling your home hurts. When your neighbor sold for a million and a half and you need to sell for a million three, I don't really want to. That in itself is kind of a reason I'm going to wait to get the value, if I can, in, in, in the name of preference. But then there's also this other thing that's kind of come up now because of what's going on right now. And that is an opportunity. There's a new opportunity out there. There is a huge value today of holding a low interest mortgage. Some of you have mortgages, myself included, that are under 3%. You don't get those anymore. If you've got a five, five years left or even four years left on your under 3% mortgage, why would you ever sell that? The value of that is just incredible. It's too bad you can't just transfer it or give it away. Like you've got a noose around your neck in that way, but you can keep it and you can rent it out. Rent rates seem to be doing pretty well right now. Sellers would rather rent than sell with such low payments. You're paying a fraction of it. What am I going to do? Sell it and then buy something else and pay a higher interest rate? Why not just hold it and, and rent it out? And so this opportunity has been created. And for these reasons and, and many others, we will eventually, I promise you, enter once again back into a seller's market. We will, tend, we will, we will move ourselves back into that market. Even though right now it feels like it's never going to happen. Prices are going to drop forever. I know it feels like that. I'm telling you, there's a lot of pressures that are pushing things back on the side of sellers. There is just a lot of instability and a lot of confusion and concern. A lot of people that are still in scenarios where they have to sell. That's still happening right now. And the prospect of further interest rate increases. But this time will pass. We know the Bank of Canada is watching prices too. And it's a factor in the interest rate increase decisions. Your house price that just dropped, the Bank of Canada sees that. And they're factoring that into their calculation as well as your inability to go out and buy all these products because it's so expensive. And now with you know rising interest rates and mortgage, the mortgage debt is almost like a handcuff that prevents the Bank of Canada in a lot of ways from increasing their rates, unless they just become indifferent and don't care about those things. But we know from communication from the Bank of Canada that they do and that they're watching it. So in the short term, next six months, let's say, high pressure selling will continue to take place and deals after every interest rate increase will happen. And this is why I've got buyers right now and we're just chilling until next week. We'll wait until the interest rate happens. Also, there's a little bit of confusion right now with what's going on on the, uh, the provincial elections. I think that's all but one, but let's wait and see and we'll report on how that plays out. But that's also up in the air. So after we see this for sure guaranteed interest rate change, affordability will affect, be affected once again. There's another buying opportunity. And, and I would expect that that trend will continue. But in the midterm, 
and midterm, I would consider two or more years, you're going to see supply pressure come back. You will. These are just some of those examples that take place, let alone the caliber of demand, the amount of people flocking to Canadian real estate into Canada. There's just a lot of supports that are built in, supply issues. People ignore that there's a supply issue. There is a legitimate supply issue in the GTA. I know some people hate when I say that, but it's true. It's true. Anyways, you can find us. Here's some, just some of my thoughts, and I know we're kind of going off the articles here, but Tell me what you guys think. You can hit me up, share this on Instagram. I really encourage you guys to do that. And you can DM me at Watson Estates and find us as well on Linktree. But um, I got a lot, my hands full. I got uh, three babies running around. So, uh, and I would say I'm done. I think that's probably it. <laughs> Might be time for a vasectomy. Just saying. But then again, I've heard that those things don't always work. My cousin, Alex, he said that all it did was change the color of his baby. So I don't know. I have to look into it more, but I'll see you guys next time. Take care and keep it real.